Hello, everyone. Welcome to Conversations with the Co-op. This is where we source questions from the Index Co-op community to gain insights from today's leaders in DeFi, crypto, and the metaverse. I'm your host, Crypto Texan, and today I'm joined by Dark Forest Capital and AG, who are the co-founders of Metaportal and the methodologists behind the Index Co-op's Metaverse Index. Dark Forest AG, thanks for coming on the show today. How are y'all doing? Very good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Yeah, so let's get started with just some introduction. Uh, if y'all could just, you know, give us your name so we can associate the name of the voice for the recording and just give us a little bit of background about how you got into crypto, DeFi, and more specifically, uh, the metaverse. I'm Dark Forest Capital. My real name is Paul, but obviously created this sort of profile for myself now that I use on social media. I got into crypto like full time around the crash back in March 2020. I was actually looking for something to do because my plan to become an airline pilot just been put on hold due to COVID. So I actually started trading stocks and crypto and really just found that like there was a lot more interesting things going on in crypto and it was easier to understand like how things traded. So that led into DeFi Summer, which led into uh, speaking to people at the Index Co-op, which spiraled completely out of control into like a, a full-time role at the co-op and uh, actually launching the MVI. Since then, like managing the MVI, contributing to the co-op and then stepping away and trying to create something of our own, like me and AG sort of spinning up Metaportal into a brand in its own right. Um, so really the, the last sort of six to 12 months have, have just been trying to grow that, grow that brand really. So yeah, that, that's in it. That's it in a nutshell, I'd say. I'm AG. I go by Verto kind of on socials, Telegram, Twitter, and so on. My professional background before crypto was in, in asset management in, in TradFi. I initially bought crypto in, in 17, but I was recently talking to someone I used to work with after college, and he actually recalled us having conversations about Bitcoin, and that was back in 2013 which I don't really recall. So I guess I was aware of crypto before 17. I, I bought it first in 2017. And then when everything went down uh, during the bear market, I sort of went back to my regular job and started looking looking at crypto again in early 2020. Sort of as we went into COVID lockdown, I had, you know, working from home, you have quite a bit more time just because there's no one really looking over your sh shoulder. So if you can do a job in four hours, you, you're sort of done. So I ended up having like a bit more time on my hands and I started digging into crypto again and picking up like freelance gigs to do writing for crypto sort of publications. If, if you, you know, if, if you write, you have to do research and, and part of doing research is using using these these apps. So I remember using Maker and then uh, Compound and uh, Balancer when they launched. I was quite active in the Balancer community in the very beginning when they launched for a couple of months. And then slowly found my way to, to the co-op, which was very indices made made a lot of sense to me given given the background. So 
my sort of area in TradFi was was asset management and, and fund management, which is basically like indices, but actually managed. So made a lot of sense. And um, the the transition to sort of the metaverse really happened with the launch of the metaverse index. I think before we sort of launched the index, I was aware of the concept, mostly coming from like the NFT side of things, but I haven't really invested in 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 anything in metaverse or NFT related. And I was like waiting for an index to do so because I was like, I have no clue what to invest in and we need to we need to do an index. And then sort of in the process of researching and launching the index and then continuing on the path of like publishing content and managing it and, and doing all of that. That's kind of how I guess both of us got much deeper into into the metaverse and, and what's happening there. Yeah, that's interesting. And so how did the two of you meet? Because it's obviously blossomed into this great friendship. And I'm just curious, like, did y'all know each other before your contributions to the index co-op? No, we didn't actually. Um, it, it might look like a great friendship on the on the surface, but <laughs> no, I love AG. We get on pretty well. It actually started because when AG joined the co-op, I ended up reading some of the things that he'd written under a, a blog that I don't know if he wants shared, but um, yeah, so he was he was sort of doing these general musings and I went and checked it out and found that he was writing all the things that I'd been thinking. And so the first time we had a chat, we kind of connected over that and put the world to rights over a video call really and uh, yeah, just haven't stopped since then. AG, you have anything yeah. to add there? <laughs> no, that about sums it up. And so let's talk about like how y'all started getting involved with the index co-op and, you know, what's it like, I guess, in your eyes, since you've been in the space and you've worked for a DAO for longer, you know, what was it like starting out working for the index co-op DAO? And then how did that change over time as you, I guess, somehow, you know, you just, you acquire these, these new and new responsibilities over time. Can you just kind of describe that process? Yeah. So, I mean, my, my personal experience was, I actually remember very vividly seeing Overanalyzer put out a uh, proposal on the forum at the very start of Index Co-op. So that would have been October, 2020. And thinking, because I had the idea for a metaverse index, I was like, oh, this would be easy. I'll just slap, slap that on the forum and then away we go. And it sort of demonstrated my naivety as to how all these things work. But in terms of that sort of becoming like a job and a role at a DAO, it just happened organically and it was kind of being in the right place at the right time. So I, I feel pretty lucky to, to have come along at that point because actually the reason that I stuck around in the co-op Discord was specifically because I came in, as I did at that time with a lot of Discords, looking to get info around the token and whether I was going to trade it. And what I found instead was a ton of people who were just super interested in how do we build structured products using smart contracts that are beneficial for everybody around the world that has like a mobile phone and an internet connection. And I thought that is pretty cool. And nobody cared about the token really. That's all they wanted to talk about. So I started to talk about that as well. And that spiraled into like conversations around governance, treasury management, uh, organizing a DAO, you know, organizing a, a globally dispersed set of contributors. So it kind of grew organically. And I think it depends what time you turn up 
what stage in the formation of a DAO you turn up as to what your experience will be, because it can be quite different. And I think if you get in early, it's much easier to basically just contribute and um, sort of get the ball rolling that way. Like you can do anything because there's so many gaps. You, you just need to spot one of them and go for it. And you can kind of build your profile that way. If you come in with a more established DAO, like something like Maker, I'd imagine you've got to be, you know, pretty spot on with whatever it is that you're trying to do there because they're such a bunch of itch, like experienced professionals that also understand DeFi very detailed level. So it becomes more difficult over time. But for me personally, like I say, it was more of an organic process. Definitely wasn't the intention when I started contributing and conversing and uh, like putting proposals out there, but um, that that's how it ended up. I would say that like for me, like one very big moment was realizing that you can actually like make a living doing this. I think that was mind blowing, to be honest. I think I was at the time I sort of joined Coop in, in I think it was December or November twenty twenty. I was doing like a lot of freelance gigs on like writing and strategy for crypto some for like stocks and bonds and so on and starting to work with like individual crypto projects and uh, but it was all like through freelancing platforms right it, it was sort of very much unstable and then realizing that you can actually come in and contribute to a DAO and make a living from that was eye-opening moment and then i think on kind of how it was back then versus how I perceive it from from the outside now is I think it's still like 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 Doug Forrest said, if you come in early, it's easier. But I think that the amount of context that you need in, in terms of understanding the industry, understanding what has happened over the last two years, understanding what type of governance models and strategies have been tested, which ones have failed or not, like. I think you need much more context because when when we started out in like late 2020, those those really only like three or four months of of context of, of history when it came to to DAOs, and and now now there's much more. I also think that the that complexity is much greater, right? If you think about the innovation of say uh, Maker or, or Compound or Ave. And, and like the, the complexity of those protocols, they're, they're not that complex. But then if you think about what has happened and what, what types of protocols and what types of mechanisms and tokenomics have been released over the last six to 12 months, like the level of complexity has exploded. So I think it's, it, it's, it's, at least my perception is that it's it's much more technical, much more challenging now. While at the same time, I feel like there's more and more DAOs that are popping up that all need contributors, but the level of like people or, or the number of people that are actually available having enough context and understanding, like that number is limited. So I think a lot of DAOs actually struggling with uh, with talent, with recruiting the right people. Yeah, and I I totally understand what you mean about you know, like how complex is MakerDAO or Uniswap? And it's almost like, I think a lot of us crypto natives or down natives in the space, you know, sometimes, well, we can sometimes take for granted 
how innovative this technology can be sometimes. And I know like new people to the space do as well. But like when Uniswap first came out, like that was like such a huge problem solver for the space. You know, it's like, oh, I don't have to go on Binance or Coinbase to swap tokens. I can just do it here on the blockchain still. And, you know, when I onboard new people to crypto and, you know, get them their own self-custody wallet, they talk about how clunky it is. And I'm just, you know, I think like, man, you have no idea what it was like, like two years ago. So, but, and another thing is, yeah, I think the thing that was kind of an aha moment to me was like when I actually got paid from the DAO's multisig and that was through impression mining where, you know, I, you know, submitted my first batch of impressions and I, uh, I got paid like 30 bucks or something in index tokens. And I, that it just became very, very real to me at that moment that this is just almost a new paradigm shift in the future of work potentially, but we'll move on. So we're going to be talking about the metaverse quite a bit on this call. And I think it'd be a good idea if we could just get a sense of how the two of you define the metaverse. And do you have the same opinion on your definition or do you have slightly different definitions of what the metaverse is? I'll go first, just because it's easier. I've got more choice of what I can say then. Uh, so, I, I actually like your definition, so I'm, I'm just going to concur with, with whatever you say. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, I hope my definition is still the same as uh, <laughs> the one that you like, but I, th I think it's because I kind of had an idea of what all this was trending towards before it became... Actually, it wasn't really before it came. Like Years and years ago, Mark, Zuckerberg made everybody at Facebook read Snow Crash. I remember that story sticking out to me because I was like, well, I'm never going to read Snow Crash because I hate Facebook so much. Um, and I still haven't read it. But I know the term metaverse comes from that book. But for me, the, the metaverse arises through the blending of digital and physical realities. And the hardware that we use, like VR headsets or haptic feedback gloves or even just our mobile phones, as that improves, I see that as like, um, and borrowing slightly from Matthew Ball here, that's like the boundary layer between these realities. So as that gets better and smaller and higher quality and more immersive, that boundary layer actually reduces. So the metaverse is the ability to go into basically a digital reality and not be bound by the laws of our physical reality. And you, you'll be able to jump in, in and out between physical and digital. Now, in terms of what it looks like within that digital realm, I think that's what most people in crypto and on Twitter spend their time arguing over. Like, is there one metaverse or a virtual world within the metaverse? So that's why I kind of like to zoom out a bit and just define it as it, it's like humans going digital effectively. And that's how I see it. Yeah. And I think uh, if you sort of expand that a little bit, right, to open metaverse versus closed metaverse, right, I think what Darfur has described can be both, right? You can have you can have a closed metaverse, centralized metaverse, corporate metaverse, whatever you want to call it. But what we want to see, right, is is an open metaverse, and that's where that's where you get into blockchain and 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 crypto and NFTs as you know, sort of ownership of virtual digital goods. It's owning your data, own your, owning your identity, it's digital money, all of these things. I think metaverse itself 
can be closed or open. But what makes it open is all the things that, that we are excited about. So is the, the metaverse, is it a spectrum? Because, I, you know, I hear people say that, you know, really just the metaverse projects are the metaverse. And then there's people who say that you need to include, you know, digital assets in currencies like Bitcoin and Ether. And then there's people who just say, you know, if you're interacting on Twitter, you're in the metaverse. Or if you're on a Zoom or FaceTime call, that's that's the metaverse. So do you feel like it's a spectrum or do you feel like there there is a hard line somewhere? Or have we just not defined that that line of what is and what isn't necessarily the metaverse yet? I would say that there's like a gazillion definitions out there, right? So obviously, I think it, it's a spectrum and we don't really understand. Like we don't necessarily agree on what the actual definition is. For me personally, I think the spectrum, right, comes from the level of immersion, right? So Twitter, for example, your level of immersion is very low. The same with perhaps Zoom. So for me, it, it's hard to see that as as metaverse, just because you're not, even though you do operate in like digital realm, you are not immersed in it. And, and so for me, that that spectrum is is immersion. And so the closer you get to full immersion, the closer you get to this like. like full concept of a full vision of metaverse. But immersion is a spectrum, and I don't necessarily know where on that spectrum do we tilt into into the metaverse, right? When when does it become metaverse versus sort of the the sort of 2D digital world in a way? I say it's a spectrum as well, but um less focused on immersion and more on like if you you cast yourself forward a hundred years and you imagine like historians talking about this, you know, this revolution, this renaissance, whatever you want to call it that we're going through. I think they would refer to the metaverse arising as we saw like personal computers with glass screens on them and AirPod earphones that you can carry around with you all day. Like these things seem clunky now, but if you give us another 20 years, they're going to become more ingrained. So I think the metaverse is arising on that spectrum and we're going through it, but we're in the sort of early stages of the industrial revolution almost where we've got these big like steam powered clunky machines that are making loads of, it's, it's almost like that. But you know, you, you, I think by the end of the, this current decade or next, we will look back at having to hold a piece of metal and glass in our hands to access the internet as extremely backward. Like I think that stuff will start to get integrated. So for me, it's more about the spectrum of, of how easily we can slip from one to the other. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And just thinking back at when the proposal came through the governance forum for the Metaverse Index, it was quite a bit before the you know explosion or bull run on, on the Metaverse-related tokens and before Facebook changed its name to Meta. And... So I guess my next question is like, how did you identify this opportunity? And 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 you kind of touched on it a little bit, but and also like, are y'all gamers historically? Yeah, just those two questions. Yeah, so it came because I was almost at like the forefront of this change that was being accelerated by COVID. So I had gone from you know a career engineer who was then going to have the 
career as an airline pilot. And then suddenly that was cut short. And it's like, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to sit in my mum's basement and trade crypto all day. And then I look around and I see other people getting drawn into this. And then I see, you know, older generations having to learn how to use Zoom and, and, you know, getting caught with their pants down on Zoom calls. And you see that we're actually being forced by what happened, like these, this confluence of events. I, I think the trend was already going in, in that direction. You know, we're spending more and more of our daily lives online, but it was accelerated by COVID. And so the, the opportunity to like capture that trend through a financial product is really where that came from. Like it's very difficult to capture something that's moving so quickly, like, like the metaverse space, the metaverse tokens, gaming tokens, NFTs, whatever it might be in crypto. So the idea of banging all of the top projects into an index was like, okay, this is a no brainer because now anyone who's heard the term or is looking at this trend can capture it and get exposure to it through a, a single, like a single token and, and it becomes simple. In terms of gaming, yes, lifelong console gamer started off with a Sega Game Gear and then Saturn, then PlayStation, then went to uh, Xbox when like local area network gaming uh, came about. So I played a lot of Halo, a lot of FPS, like first person shooters. Yeah. And I'm still with Xbox today. For me, it was like I started thinking about not necessarily metaverse as the term but like getting exposure to 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 the to the nft space somehow right around the time we had the first nft nft boom which was right after uh DeFi summer right of, of 2020 and so when i came to the forum and saw the metaverse index proposal i was like okay i want this like i want exposure to to the theme but i didn't necessarily think about like what what exactly does it entail other than nfts and and some games like i was aware of axie and, and avagochi to some extent uh, at that time so i think that i think for me it was more like there's got to be a way to get exposure to this this nfts and, and and gaming thematic and and that's what that's what i thought like metaverse was at at the time and then yeah, like with with gaming, I think I've played a lot as a kid and, and like growing up, but not for the last fifteen years or so. I think Sega was sixteen uh, bit. I think I had the eight bit console before Sega. I forgot what it was called. And then yeah, of um, Unreal Tournament, Counter Strike, growing up, and then World of Warcraft a little bit here and there, but not much for the last fifteen years or like twelve years. And and uh, yeah, really enjoying getting back into it now it's a lot of fun yeah and let's let's change directions a little bit more to the just the metaverse index specifically and let's talk about the token inclusion methodology and i know that y'all have different uh, categories you know like virtual worlds gaming can you just kind of touch on the methodology a little bit and maybe just describe uh, what ca- types of categories you look for in this index so with with any methodology, like if you wanna if you wanna have an objective methodology, uh, the very first step is like, how am I gonna screen all of these tokens from CoinGecko for inclusion, right? Like I can't really manually go through five thousand tokens and figure out what I'm gonna put in. First off, it's subjective. Second off, it's like impossible to to do time wise. So 
the very first step is like figuring out how to screen things so that you end up with uh, a feasible list of like what can potentially go into into the index that you can then research. So when we launched, we were using CoinGecko categories and we were screening for, I believe, five categories at the time, which was like NFTs, entertainment, gaming, VR, AR, and, and music. So that's six. I think that's, that's what we we're doing at the time. Then basically, once you screen for that, you, you have a list of tokens, which is probably somewhere between like 50 and 100. And then we'd sort of go through them and, and we'd look at, is it, you know, is it an RC20 or not? Uh, does it have DEX liquidity or not? When has it been released? Um, and, and so that would allow us to filter some more tokens out. So we had like a minimum market cap requirement. We had, you know, the token has to be live for at least three months. And then we had like a bit more subjective uh, liquidity requirement as, as well. And th- then sort of once once you've screened through that, you look at what's left and you try to apply a bit of like a fundamental overlay on top of that. So you look at the team, you look at the history like of any incidents, you look at circulating supply, like look at vesting, other... Are there any tokens, like any cliffs that are going to hit the market, you know, where you'll get diluted? Is there, you know, like a massive APY stake program where if you not participate, all of these things. And then, like, what's left is basically what you want to include. And for the AI portfolio. And then going back to, like, the categories, like, probably six or seven months after we, after we launched the index, we've decided to change from CoinGecko categories to categories that we have uh, developed. And, and that was basically around like, we didn't want to be tied to CoinGecko categories because we yeah, we a little bit like handicapped with that. And, and when the product started growing hitting like 30 and 50 million in AUM, that felt like a hindrance, really, something that might might hold us back. So we've developed our own categories for the application layer of, of the metaverse. And, and that's like gaming, virtual worlds, marketplaces, um, I think extended reality, AI machine learning, things like that. I think we have uh, collectibles as well. And a few other things that I'm forgetting now. Uh, platforms, one of them. Yep. And that's that's really why y'all eventually decided to start the MetaPortal brand, right? I mean, uh, there was a time last year where the two of you started to scale back your contributions to the Index Co-op, which was sad to see, to focus on MetaPortal, the Metaverse Index, and, and other initiatives, but was... Was the ability or or the the wanting to, I guess, define your own categories for the metaverse the the primer for that move? No, not really. That was more of a an outcome and trying to sort of take more control over our own destiny. Really, I think the the main reasons for that move were we were stretched pretty thin trying to contribute at the co op and manage a product to the best of. Uh, you know both of those initiatives so it made sense to focus on doing one and i think with 
meta portal you know we both enjoy writing like ag does and i do but i think we like to put our thoughts down occasionally we like the freedom of like being able to to sort of pursue things that we found interesting so ag's obviously gone off and he's got a scholarship actually scholarship now um we you know we've got some advertisement partners on the sub stack uh we're looking at you know what else at that time it was like what else can we do with this like it, it can become the index can give us a nice income generator but what can we do with that and if we want an open metaverse and we want to be people who like actually make this thing better and make you know steer the direction of how this thing grows then we can become a part of that in our own right like with a brand basically so that it, that's where it came from really and like I say, that, that specific thing, the categories, was just a good idea to give us more control over you know, what, what does and doesn't go in. So you imagine CoinGecko's job is pretty hard, the amount of new tokens they get every single day. They're just banging out like these, these categories on them, not always with the most due diligence, whereas we can sit there and, and take our time and do the normal process that we do for every new token inclusion, which is speaking to the team, Deep diving the tokenomics, like making sure that the product is actually live, audited, works, you know, et cetera. But just give us more flexibility, but more, yeah, control over our own destiny. Yeah. And so what can you just describe MetaPortal, I guess, in a little bit more depth? You know, so what what is this organization? Is it a is it a DAO? Is it a, a meat space company? Is it just a Twitter handle, the two of you and in, in, in a substack? Like how, how would you describe it? I think we don't know yet. Like it changes as we go, which is one of the exciting things about it. We first sort of kicked off the direction that we were going to go in over some lovely cocktails on a beach in Greece back in August last year. And we set forth like, here's what we're going to do for the next three months. And I think we kind of achieved that. And then we tried to do the same again this year. And we've ended up focusing slightly on, on different things, but we, we've sort of kept to the core of what we're trying to do which is like grow those those revenue streams through index products and other initiatives but i think that um our ideas change quite often and so in terms of what metaportal is today like it's us and our community hopefully a community of people that enjoy like reading and hearing our thoughts and we've had some good, good conversations in the discord with our community and we've had people reach out and actually get more involved, like the uh, gaming newsletter, if anyone's seen that. That comes in part from uh, a guy in our community called Daniel. Um, so at the moment, it's just a, a way for us to like engage with people who enjoy being in the metaverse, being part of this thing emerging, and uh, a way for us to share like what we're up to with other people. Where that's going to go in the next three to six months, like I say, it, it kind of changes. Like if you'd have asked us in August, Last year, it'd be completely different to where it was in January. It would be pretty different to, to where it is now. So I think we like to keep our options open um, and, uh, yeah, see where it leads us, really. I subscribe to the Metaportal Substack and listen to the podcast. And, yeah, y'all do put out some really great content. And I think one that I just read recently, and I feel like this is becoming a, a major theme in the crypto space, and that's the blockchain gaming or play-to-earn gaming and in-game nfts and metaportal put out a primer on you know what are some valid criticisms and shortfalls 
of play to earn gaming, blockchain gaming, in-game NFTs. Do you want to touch on that a little bit? Like what are some valid criticisms of that space? Because I feel like there is a lot of pushback that we hear and see from traditional gamers. And I think Discord tried to integrate NFTs and they got a lot of pushback as well. Just curious to hear your thoughts on all of that. Yeah, so it's interesting, right? Because we do get like crypto gaming and blockchain gaming and NFTs does does get a lot of pushback from from traditional gaming. And a lot of people in crypto tend to just be like, oh yeah, like these guys just don't understand. And it's interesting because from like looking at the space and and, and researching gaming for for a while now, quite often. It's not the traditional gamers who don't understand. It's crypto gamers who don't understand, right? Like, so there, there are a lot of really sort of uh, credible and, and valid criticism of, of, of crypto gaming. So, first one is that, like, the quality is shit, right? Like, crypto game, the quality of crypto games is 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 not great. If you sort of try to compare it to to traditional games, we are like taking like stepping back into, you know, 1990s, maybe, maybe 2000s, early 2000s for the quality of some, some of these games. And, you know, crypto people then tend to say, oh yeah, like, but look at like Illuvium and Star Atlas and these guys are going to develop AAA quality games in the next like three months or six months or whatever. And that's, we don't think that's going to happen. Like that's, that's just not true. I don't have too many like game dev friends but i have a few and and i've spoken to them and they tell me that it's like literally impossible to deliver what illuvium and starless are promising like for star atlas specifically there is a game called star citizen that that is is basically what star atlas wants to be and those guys raised i think up to 500 million and they've been building this game for seven years and it still doesn't work so we think that the quality is 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 poor, and it's gonna take us some time to to get better, right? So I think we we need to be realistic about what crypto games are and and will be for the foreseeable future. So that's that's number one, right? Number two is like the the user experience is 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 uh, challenging. It's you know having to deal with crypto wallets, hopping between chains, figuring out how to cash out any rewards. Like it's it's really challenging. Um, so uh, we're nowhere near kind of what uh, mass adoption UI will, will look like. And we are seeing some better implementations, but uh, we're still still quite far off. Let's see. I think because the games themselves, like the quality of the games themselves um, is, is poor, a lot of teams are not really focusing on building a good game. And, and building a fun game, they're focusing on um, the crypto economic loops, right? Like, and 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 stretching that as far, like on the Ponzi non Ponzi range, like stretching it as far as possible. So that's where like the gamify term. That's that's sort of what it is. It's it's sort of DeFi farming mechanics with like visual overlay, right? But Crypto games themselves, the way we see it, is like video games, right? And, and so we've seen a lot of gamify, and that's not really gaming. 
I think valuations are generally pretty high for lack of users and poor, poor UX and, and poor quality of games. Distribution, I think a lot of people don't understand how hard distribution is. You can't really get a crypto game on, on, onto Apple Store or Play Store. It's really hard. Steam you know, said they're not going to support crypto games. Even if you do get a game onto Apple Store or Play Store, they take 30% of the revenue. That changes the economics for, for developers, for studios quite a bit. And you know, there is a limit to how much you can distribute the game directly by having people download an app uh, outside of an app store, whether it's on mobile or or PC. And yeah, like the last one is around Lend. There is this argument that like, we don't necessarily need to mimic the qualities of Lend in the physical world in the metaverse because digital Lend can be abundant, right? Like we don't have physical restrictions. And so there are a lot of examples of having digital scarce land leading to land crises and collapses of like the digital real estate market in different wor- virtual worlds or games. And uh, it's, it's valid that a lot of teams in crypto gaming do not know that uh, and haven't studied those things. So those are like some of the criticisms that we find to be really credible and, and really valid at the same time, right? There's still a lot of, positives that in the long term make crypto gaming sort of a big step up from what we have today. Yeah, wow, that's really interesting. What what was the uh, virtual world land crisis you were referring to? Is it like something like Second Life? There is an article, a really well-written case study by this guy called Lars um, Doucette on on twitter and so he he's a game developer who sort of studied these things for quite a while and uh i'm happy to to drop it in the chat i forgot exactly which world but there were several worlds that had these sort of land crises and they tried to deal with them in, in different ways right so his article not only covers like the instances of of land crises but also uh, what different teams try try to do and and what works and uh, what doesn't, and so he talks about like the the land value tax or harbinger tax is a different variation of it, but some sort of a tax system to make sure that the land in games is used is actually utilized, right? So if people want to build something, there is land available for them to build it, and for that to happen, speculators need to pay the price of just holding and squatting on the land without actually doing anything with it. I'll drop the article in the, in the chat. Yeah, that'd be great. And it's interesting. It's almost like these these crypto games, you know, when you have scarce assets that you need to utilize within a game, it, it's almost like they need to hire their own economist, right? Just like for just a microeconomist for the game that they're developing. Is that, I think, I, and I think we talked to Ryan from DG about that a little bit, but is that a trend that y'all are seeing in the space at all? Yeah, we spoke to Tim from Cypher, did a podcast with him recently, and he mentioned that I think they have two economists, game economists, for their upcoming game. Um, So yeah, it's becoming a pretty serious intersection of uh, economics and game design that you, you have to think about these 
things and, and make sure that they work long term. Like if you look at something like Axie, there's literally billions of dollars at stake and upwards of millions of players. So if you get it wrong, the consequences can be huge. And I, I think actually to go back to a point that AG made earlier, a lot of crypto game projects almost like either deliberately or just unintentionally, I don't know. They're just not, they don't seem to have taken account of anything that's happened in traditional gaming over 20 years. Like there's so much to learn that there's so much information, examples of things that have gone wrong. Um, the land scarcity stuff is a great example, which is why I think Nifty Island is a, is a great idea. Uh, it's literally playing the opposite, which is land is abundant. Go and, you know, make the most creative thing that you can. Land scarcity has been shown time and time again to like make a mess of things and you get landlords and rent extraction and it turns into like a Wales game and it can ruin the experience. So to just build a, a game and do constant land sales, like you see from Sandbox, um, I think it could land these these projects in hot water uh, and they have to be careful and um so yeah that's where game economists come in people who are experts in, in the design of the game themselves and have that understanding of economics and convert them both to work yeah that's interesting and okay so we we've talked about some of the valid criticisms and shortfalls of uh, crypto gaming later earn gaming but there there are also obviously some ways in which this space is better than the traditional one, which is why, you know, you've been teasing this game index on Twitter. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, what are some ways in which you feel like the play to earn gaming is better? And how did that push you to want to develop this uh, game index token, you know, and maybe just talk about like, how is it different from the metaverse index? And also, you uh, you guys have chosen to deploy this game index directly on token sets as opposed to going the index co-op governance route uh, through that partnership. So I'll just, I'll just let you talk through all those questions. I feel like I just gave you a lot of questions, but <laughs> I'll, I'll let you talk through those. Yeah, I can cover sort of what we see as, as benefits of sort of crypto gaming using blockchain and NFT tech for for games, and then Doug Forrest can maybe talk about the game index and, and how it differs from, from MVI and, and why we sort of decided to go through token sets uh, directly. So on the benefits, right? The first one is the fact that blockchain and, and crypto games and using NFTs allow us to have open and, and, and trustless economies, right? So we all know that with, with gaming, there's always black markets, gray markets. Some of them are scams, some of them are horrible. It pushes a lot of this economic activity underground. And that just doesn't really make sense. So I think having an open economy is a massive advantage. And the, the, the fact that if that open economy runs on a public blockchain, then that economy itself is pretty trustless right and with an open economy players can 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 monetize their time right like if i put in 20 30 50 hours into a game maybe i want an nft or two i can, I can sell it i can monetize my time in that way. i can also exit the game right so let's say i spent thousand dollars buying axes i played for a couple of months and now i don't want to play the game anymore so i can go and sell them so i, I don't 
it's not it's not a sunk cost as as it is in in traditional games and so it's interesting because the traditional gaming developers they can do this right they can do all economies they just haven't really done so and like another benefit of open economy is that the, the prices are set by by the market which is different from the developer controlling the pricing i think it's also worth like pointing out that even though like the economy itself is trustless uh, the games are often not trustless, right? Because the developer still controls a lot of what's happening with the economy and, and controls what your character can do in games through buffs, nerfs, things, and other mechanisms. So you do kind of have to trust the developer, but the economy itself is actually open and, and trustless. The like the second benefit is the equity-like exposure. So Basically, token allows us to align incentives between gamers and the developer, as well as like other participants in the ecosystem, whether it's community or streamers or other sort of ecosystem participants. And, and that's something that's not necessarily uh, possible in, in the traditional uh, gaming environment. I think one of the interesting ideas, and, and we hope that a lot of this sort of happens, is third-party or community mods of an existing game that are funded with a token, right? Basically, we know from the history of mods that they actually sometimes, they, they tend to bring a lot of value. We know mods that have been more popular than the actual game. We, we know mods that have been incorporated into the next installment of a game. So it, it's the, the ability to use the token to, to align incentives is really powerful. It's worth mentioning that I think the the equity-like exposure uh, is 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 probably needs to carry equity-like or, or something similar regulation. So I think there's a, a, a big risk of regulation in in there. I think governance is is really interesting. I think there are good and bad things about governance, but like the the ability of the community to sort of contribute to the evolution of the game, to to contribute to what is going to be the next expansion and like in which direction can we take the story and, and things like that. I think it's really powerful ability to like, and, and having tokens or NFTs that are verifiable gives us the ability to do that. Again, you could do that with a centralized system in a traditional game. It's just that the, the traditional game developers don't want to do it. And like the, the fourth benefit is really like the, the difference in the monetization and, and the economic uh, model, right? Like the way you monetize a crypto game is through the economic activity, which is why open economies are so important to this. Also, if you think about uh, marketing, right? Like for a AAA game, the marketing budget is often as big as the development budget. So we're talking like 60, 80 million at, at a low end for both development and the marketing budget. So in crypto, you don't really need a marketing budget, right? Because the token allows you to align incentives between the community and then the community has to push the game forward, uh, has to push the marketing because they're financially in invested in it. So we generally see that the economics of the crypto games are much better than the economics of, of traditional games. And we think that's that's a huge benefit. Well, yeah, I can definitely see all the benefits there. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just a matter of finding the common ground and merging between, you know, those criticisms and then the you know, obvious criticisms of, of the crypto gaming space and then 
you know, the obvious benefits and advantages that it, you know, in, in the alignment that the token incentives can create between developers and gamers. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, Dark Force. Yeah, if you want to talk more about the, the game index, go for it. Yeah, so I think you asked about the differences to MVI. Um, and I think if we focus on like the fundamental mandate for MVI, it was to capture life uh, as in sort of social and business all moving to take place in digital environments. Um, and we recently updated that to specify that those environments should be powered by NFTs uh, and blockchain. So MVI is kind of that broad, you know, we've seen this trend, how do you capture it? Uh, and that's what's designed to go into MVI. Talked a little bit about the categories as well uh, and how we see those different sectors of the metaverse. So I guess game is like, okay, you're in the metaverse, like what are you going to do? And gaming is currently the hot narrative. It's the hot sector. So you're going to do a lot of gaming. Uh, and as AG's just pointed out, there's a ton of benefits uh, to like NFTs being involved in these games and basically the, the crypto aspect to it. So game really is focusing on like that traditional gaming as a growing sector is going to be or is predicted to be about $269 billion worth of an asset class or a, a sector by 2025. So there's tons of growth. It's been around for you know decades at this point, and it was written off at the start. And now there's even consideration for like esports going into the Olympics. So the the narrative on gaming in general has like totally changed. So we're looking to capture that. So then you're in the metaverse. This is like the the top sector at the moment. So we're seeing billions and billions of dollars come in to to NFT games, crypto games. You know, if you look at the the numbers, they're pretty staggering to be honest i think it was ftx that have raised a fund a couple of months back that's like two billion dollars purely for gaming mainly solana focused of course but like there's money coming in so there's there's even though there's a ton of rubbish there's definitely going to be stuff that comes out of this that is good so the sector itself is growing money is coming in to support it and while probably in the short term stuff has been overhyped uh, you're definitely seeing good good things happening and projects doing um you know like making real products so game really is like can you capture that part of the narrative and do you know what really struck me was (laughs) listening to ag talk about all of the sort of hard truths and it's kind of ironic that we put that article out there like a week before launching this product because it basically fuds the whole space and says you know everything's overvalued and overhyped and Actually, we need to st- take a step back and consider what's what's really being built here. But actually, I think, like I say, the, the fundamentals are there. It's a growing space. Uh, there's money coming in to support it. We are seeing innovations and real things being built. And of course, it's it's powered by you know self-sovereign ownership of your digital assets, which is a, an extremely powerful thing. So, game in terms of like a portfolio, if you looked at it from a portfolio perspective, I think you look at it as sort of supercharging your exposure to the metaverse. If you've already got MVI, maybe you would take up a 20 to 30% allocation in, in game just to capture that. We've seen that the top performers within MVI have been gaming related. So we're talking like AXS, ILV. Uh, they've, they've all been up like massively since inclusion. So it just made sense to have a product that captures that. I mean, up until like even just recently, we've seen data that shows that gaming has stood up really well since the start of the year, and it's actually been the best performing sector. 
so yeah it just seems like the time is right for that um but in terms of its differences it, it's like that narrow focus on a hot sector within the broader metaverse so that's how it differs from mbi yeah the interesting question about why token sets and not with the index co-op i guess because we like doing things the hard way and we don't want to make it easy for ourselves but the the real thing is like the co-op has a bit of a one-size-fits-all approach to beat splits. And rather than trying to shoehorn ourselves into that and sort of dealing with it in perpetuity, I think that we we just want to see, can, you know, is there another, is there something else that we can do? Um, and by the way, I want to make it clear that everything I say here, I have already discussed with like Matthew Graham, probably other men, members of Index Co-op, like we've, we've had these kind of discussions. So no, none of this should be new to anybody. But in terms of that fee split, like I think the main benefit we see of working with Index Co-op is that kind of rebalancing as a service. But where we're currently at, I think that's all all that we're looking for for the time being. So the fee split would have to be sort of flipped the other way around in order for that to be tenable for us. I mean, if you look at the numbers, if we take 100% of the income from this product and we get it to 8 million, that's the same as the current fee split with MVI at 40 million. So there's a lot less pressure on us to grow it to a massive size to have the same sort of levels of profitability. Um, and I want to say that, like, as I said, all of this stuff has been put across to various people at the co-op already. We haven't closed the door. I think there's always an option to work together. And there are definitely things that the co-op can do that we can't. So perhaps in the future, it would be a case of you know having those discussions. But the door is always open. You know, we, we came from the co-op. We understand how it works, what it does well. And it's just a case of falling onto something that works for both parties, I think, in terms of what can be offered and uh, what we have to give up in return. Well, and yeah, we're, we're kind of running up on time a little bit here. Actually, we're over time. But yeah, I'm I'm excited. You know, I, I love the Metaverse Index. I love what y'all have done and your historical contributions to the co-op and, and getting the co-op to where it is today. Love the MetaPortal Substack and podcasts and very excited for the game index, which I think you said is launching uh, next week. So it, yeah, like I said, now that we're over on time, I'll just, uh, the final question is where can people go to find out more about the two of you and MetaPortal? Yeah. So we're both on Twitter and dark forest cap and Verto is Verto 0912. We have a website. Not many people use it. MetaPortal.wtf is our website. And, uh, we're probably best to go now. Like it's a bit of a hub. It's got all of our product information. It's got. It will soon have. If it doesn't already, no, it does have links to our Gitbook, so you can find like detailed information, uh, contract addresses, etc. So we've got everything on there. I'd say start with the website, and uh, as I say, we're both on Twitter, and we've got all the links in our Twitter as well. And recently opened our Discord, so anybody is welcome. All right, guys. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks to everyone who's listening live in the Index Co-op Discord. This is being recorded, and we will get this out in about a week. Dark Force Capital, AG, great to have you all. And have a great weekend, and I'll see you all next time. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.